This is Nemesis State Mocha for NAJM Catalyst. I'm speaking today with Dr. Dave Chakshi, the Commissioner of New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. In this role, the Commissioner is responsible for the health of the citizens of New York City. Prior to this, Dave was Chief Population Health Officer of NYC Health and Hospitals. He sees patients as an internist at Bellevue Hospital. Dave also serves on our NAJM Catalyst Innovations and Care Delivery Editorial Board. In all of these roles and in his prior experiences, including when he and I worked together at Brigham and Women's Hospital, the Commissioner has been committed to improving the lives of the populations he serves. We could discuss many topics today, but given his experience in both the provider and health system settings, as well as the government and public health sectors, wanted to focus on two specific areas. First, Dave, I'd like to get your take on the overlap between public health and population health. And second, I look forward to discussing the opportunity and challenge of bridging innovations in public health and healthcare delivery. As you know, effective collaboration between the two will be especially critical as we address this next phase of the pandemic. We are delighted to have you joining us today. Thank you so much, Namita. I'm honored to be on the podcast. Let's start with clarifying some concepts. Leaders who work in the public sector use the term public health. Leaders who work in health systems use the term population health. And often, I find that they're referring to the same set of problems, challenges, and list of potential solutions. From your perspective, how do you define public health and population health, and what is the relationship between the two? What are the different levers and tools that organizations in these fields use to improve health? Well, my, my starting point on this is, um, you know, that I like to say that I'm a primary care doctor with a public health heart. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, the same things that drove me uh, to pursue medicine uh, and that I think about, you know, every time I um, care for a patient uh, are very much the same things that uh, I think about as the health commissioner for the city. Um, and ultimately, you know, whether we think of public health or population health or healthcare delivery, the common thread that links uh, all of those terms and more importantly, all of those practices is the pursuit of health. Um, and I think that is, uh, you know, simple on its face, but uh, is something that has actually been very difficult to operationalize across those different uh, sectors, um, you know, over, over uh, the course of decades. Uh, and I think part of, um, you know, our uh, common challenge, uh, whether uh, you're a public health practitioner or um, a physician working in a health system, is thinking about all of the things that contribute to and generate health and making sure that what we are doing with respect to delivering services and changing the structures of society um, actually contribute to uh, the health of the people that we intend to serve. So building on that, some of our prior conversations have been about silos in our healthcare system. So silos of parts of the ecosystem that are pursuing that goal of health, but oftentimes too isolated from each other. Can you share some thoughts and where you see the biggest gaps and areas of opportunity uh, when it comes to bridging these silos? And, and more approximately, how is 
COVID uh, affected your perspective on this? Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll build on um, the first question that you asked as part of this as well to, to say that even though, um, you know, we, uh, we strive to have a deep and abiding link between public health and healthcare delivery, um, that hasn't always been the case. So that's the first silo that I would point to. Um, you know, and COVID has, has really brought this into stark relief. Um, for example, the effectiveness of social distancing, you know, translates directly into the number of sick patients who end up in emergency departments and intensive care units. So what has always been true with respect to, uh, you know, the policy or environmental approaches that um, often undergird uh, what we think of as traditional public health um, and how that translates into when people actually get sick enough to require health care. Um, it's something where the connection between those things has become much more tangible and visceral, both for people like us who, you know, have been uh, steeped in, the, in health systems for our entire careers, um, but perhaps more importantly for the general public as well. Uh, who have now um, understood that there is this link between um, what we do in the realm of public health and how that connects to, um, to what ends up happening in clinics and hospitals. Uh, and I think that's a real opportunity, you know, even though, of course, the last few months have been filled with so much tragedy with respect to understanding the limitations of uh, our, our pandemic response, you know, our preparedness uh, in many ways as a country. Um, it, uh, one of the things that I hope we will be able to draw from and move forward with, um, you know, over the coming years is this idea that there is that nexus between public health and healthcare delivery. It's something that we need to continue building on, um, you know, tearing down the walls, uh, between those two worlds so that, uh, we can actually, um, achieve that common cause of, of producing health. And then the, the other thing that I would say on this point about um, silos is that um, particularly when I look at it from the vantage point of someone uh, who's more uh, thinking about healthcare delivery, um, the, the silo that always struck me the most, um, you know, even before my own clinical training was how uh, physical health, behavioral health, and what we can think of as social health um, are all linked. Uh, you know, you, you think about a given patient that you've taken care of, and there are so many ways in which you can draw the connections between someone's social circumstances, the risk factors that predispose them to, let's say, alcohol use disorder, and how that uh, affects, you know, the physical health of someone, whether it's, um, you know, esophageal varices or uh, liver disease. Uh, and so all of these things are packaged, you know, in uh, an individual that we take care of, and yet in the way that we actually deliver those services, uh, it's too often um, separate, uh, which causes problems both for, um, for people, you know, for the whole person whom we intend to care for, uh, but also for the systems that we're trying to build around that care. I completely agree with you. And I would add to that to the clinicians and care teams who are trying to take care of that person in that system uh, with, um, with a lot of challenges and, and limitations. 
So to build on that, how could we take this um, physical health, behavioral health, social health complexity and harness the power of this nexus between um, the health systems and the public health system to make some improvements? What would be some of your, what's on your wish list of, of how we could uh, leverage that nexus and that, that tangible and visceral connection that you mentioned mm. uh, to make progress uh, on this complex issue? You know, my the way that I think about this is that it really needs to be rooted in uh, humility. Um, it needs to be rooted in the idea that uh, that even though um, you know we may have this renewed interest in uh, in thinking about the social factors that underlie health, or um, we want to reach out, you know, to build specific collaborations between a local health department and a local health system, um, the idea that we we embark upon that journey uh, with humility, particularly from uh, the side of healthcare delivery um, feels fundamentally important to me. And the reason is that um, if you start with humility, it allows you to see that actually there have been uh, people who have been uh, working at those very same issues for uh, decades. You know, whether it's someone who has started a community-based organization to address food insecurity, or you know has been thinking about what we have uh, you know recently termed um, high utilizers from the perspective of actually addressing their homelessness. Um, you know there are so many uh, sort of latent natural resources that exist in our world um, that uh, that require a reflex for a partnership. Uh, and I found in my experience that um, that just that simple step of taking a beat and saying before we build something new, you know, before we, we generate uh, an investment in uh, what we think of as an innovative program, let's stop and understand the ecosystem in which, you know, our, our patients are already living, uh, and let's stop and think about the people who are actually better equipped than we are um, to, to support uh, the people that we intend to serve. Um, and I found that, you know, building those partnerships from that starting point uh, allows us to actually be, um, you know, not just uh, more um, uh, more uh, tangible about our work, um, but also more effective. Can you share some specific examples of these uh, partnerships and this, this approach of being rooted in, in humility uh, from when you were at New York City Health and Hospitals uh, helping to lead the, the pandemic response, and then more recently as commissioner? Sure. Um, you know, one of the ones that I think about uh, a lot is uh, at the height of the surge in New York City um, back in March and April, um, we were, uh, of course, you know, as a city, advising people to um, stay at home uh, as much as possible. Um, unfortunately, for people who are um, who are living on the margins, you know, for whom uh, hunger and access to food was tenuous, even uh, when they weren't in a pandemic, um, this this caused uh, very you know significant issues with respect to food insecurity. Uh, and so that reflex, you know, to partnership um, allowed us to work with the 
the food banks, the community-based organizations, you know, that had been uh, serving specific neighborhoods in New York City um, for many years uh, with respect to um, providing access to nutritious food. Um, and what we were able to do is provide an infusion of resources as well as, you know, some direct connections. For example, after hospital discharge, which we know is such a, a challenging period uh, in terms of recovery for people, uh, and actually connect people up with those services. But it starts with the healthcare system realizing that our role in that is actually relatively limited. It's one where we provide resources and where we uh, are essentially, you know, the referral mechanism uh, rather than um, than anything beyond that, uh, and that allowed us to make sure that you know those community-based organizations were the ones who were actually um, both uh, the trusted institutions who were delivering the service in particular neighborhoods, um, but also benefited from uh, the resources that we were able to bring to bear. Um, and then, you know, in terms of the work that we're doing more recently, um, we have thought a lot about how fundamental this idea of trust is uh, for everything that we're doing, whether it's trying to ensure that our public health guidance is followed around physical distancing and wearing masks or getting tested, um, to uh, you know, planning and preparing for vaccination, um, particularly uh, given uh, some of the historical and in many cases justified you know, distrust that exists in, in many of the communities that we, um, that we hope to serve. Uh, and so we have really tried to center this idea that trust is an essential ingredient for turning a vaccine into a vaccination, um, which again means that maybe uh, the right way to move forward is actually for us as messengers of government, as uh, messengers you know, representing uh, health professionals actually need to take a step back in some instances and allow community leaders, faith leaders, um, you know, people who uh, look like and otherwise represent um, the people that we are reaching out to uh, are the ones who are delivering the messages that, that we need. How is this approach how can it be helpful as we think about accelerating our efforts to provide more equitable care to all the communities that we serve? Yeah, and you know, this is another area that I hope will be a lasting lesson in the in the COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, what I think of as uh, you know, the idea that health equity is not it's not a sideshow, you know, it's not something that we uh, need to do along with uh, whatever uh, the, the main event is in public health or healthcare. It is the main event. You know, health equity is what we um, have to solve uh, if we're actually um, uh, uh, delivering on that mission of improving health. All we have to do is look at the the stark and um, you know dismaying outcomes uh, with respect to deaths and hospitalizations among uh, you know black and brown communities in the United States um, to realize that that is a, a core part of our job, um, and so we have uh, you know tried to do this in, in several ways uh, at the New York City Department of Health. 
um, our core values are science, equity, and compassion. And so elevating equity, you know, as one of the, the fundamental things that we focus on um, has helped us ensure that it's baked into all of our work rather than being seen as a parallel path. Uh, I appointed the first ever chief equity officer, uh, Dr. Torian Easterling, um, when I took the helm uh, here as commissioner uh, and charged him with making sure that we uh, both turn the spotlight inward and understand you know, how it is that we need to think about equity within our own organization, but then link that up to our external equity efforts as well. Um, and then the final piece is, is what we've talked about a little bit already, which is making sure that um, when we think about equity, it's not just about you know, focusing on the data around disparities, but answering the so what question. How do we actually get to that point of community engagement, whether it's around COVID testing or around uh, a COVID vaccine, uh, so that we are having the um, you know, sometimes difficult but honest conversations about how to uh, be worthy of the trust of those communities. Um, and I think that's central to actually accomplishing our equity goals. First of all, thank you for that, Dave, and for your leadership uh, in this critically important fundamental way of changing the way that we think about caring for patients and their communities. One last question. What are the one or two advances in healthcare delivery and public health that you are most optimistic about today? You know, I look at um, the amazing progress that uh, has been made with um, the development of, uh, of the mRNA vaccines for COVID-19 in uh, astounding, you know, record time. Uh, we, we've almost, um, uh, like, taken it for granted as we're seeing, you know, the news emerge. But I'm, uh, I'm so struck by... Um, by what we're seeing, you know, with respect to the pace of science and how it can be brought to bear when there is this societal will, you know, to commit to, um, to, to advancement in that way. It reminds me also of, you know, what I saw back in March and April where, um, you know, even though we had been working for a year on building our telehealth infrastructure, uh, literally overnight uh, at New York City Health and Hospitals because uh, we were uh, you know, in um, the the stay-at-home phase uh, of the surge, um, we shifted uh, to hundreds of thousands of encounters, now millions of encounters to telehealth, you know, within days. Um, I also remember walking through, you know, my hospital, Bellevue Hospital, and within a matter of hours, an endoscopy suite was turned into a fully functional medical ICU, you know, taking care of of patients who were uh, intubated um, and and uh, struggling, you know, with um, with critical illness from COVID-19. All of these experiences um, have been seared in my memory, both as uh, you know tragedy in many ways, but also as a testament to what can change when that will is there. And my great hope um, from the public health perspective is that we not forget that and we we make sure that when we are on the other side of this pandemic that we bring that same will to bear uh, in terms of what we need to do 
um, to support and invest in public health. And, you know, I'm talking about sustained investment over the long term uh, and not just during an emergency, um, you know, to, to make sure that we learn the lessons of how important it is to invest in prevention, to shore up our public health surveillance systems, um, you know, to create these links that we've talked about across sectors that actually advance health um, and that take the opportunity that we'll have through economic recovery um, to make sure that uh, public health is central to it because we will have learned how central public health is to the economy, you know, through this, um, this very difficult experience that we're all going through. So that's my, that's my big hope is having seen what is possible over these last few months when, uh, you know, smart, committed individuals um, band together, uh, that we take that same volition and turn it into something that is much more durable and long-lasting. Commissioner, thank you so much for speaking with NEJM Cattler today. Thank you for having me.